at the time of recording this, I posted a video about Dave Ramsey, just kind of saying I think he contradicted himself a little bit, and man, are people all up in arms about this. If you haven't checked the video out yet, I'll link to it above. You can check it out and uh, throw in your own opinion in there. I always think that stuff is kind of interesting. For today, that's neither here or there. Let's talk about what's happening in the world of crypto exchanges. Let's get to it. Hey everybody, my name is AJ and this is The Wealthy Idiot Show. Before we begin, please make sure to like and subscribe. It helps us out tremendously and we can try and get this information out to as many people as possible, especially those who need it the most. So we did a video a while back, I'll link to it here, that um, covering the events that took place with FTX and the FTX collapse. For a quick summary, someone by the name of Sam Bankman Fried, Freed, Fried, Sam Bankman Freed, that's it. He started a company called FTX. He scrambled a whole bunch of things around and ultimately ended up kind of gambling customer money on investments and lost. And now there's major investigations going into it. Billions of dollars were lost. A whole bunch of money can't be found to this day. And a whole bunch of companies that FTX had contracts with happened to be owned by people that he either dated at one point or he was friends with. So it doesn't look too good for Sam right now. And I think that uh, the people who put their money into FTX, which is a crypto exchange, are probably not going to see a lot of that come back. But again, this week, we have another one. BlockFi is filing for bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They're having a hard time and people are wondering what's going on with crypto exchanges. So I want to cover today what is happening in the world, what you need to know, and how to understand what is currently taking place. In order to totally understand what's happening, we have to understand this important concept. There are two major categories for investments. The first one is the one that we mostly think about, and I call that the fire and forget. That's a military term, meaning that it's a uh, weapon that you fire one time, and then you ditch the whole weapon apparatus after that. In the case of investing, I'm referring to buying things like index funds. You essentially put your money into something and then leave it there. You don't touch it. It gains interest over time. Maybe it pays you something out like a dividend. But ultimately, the idea is that you don't have to think about it too often. You put your money there and you forget about it. That's the first major one. The second one is a leverage and shave off the top strategy. And what I mean by that is that let's say you are just a random person. Let's say someone gave you a loan for $100 million with a 1% interest rate, 1% annual interest rate you would owe them a million dollars a year as you were attempting to pay this back. And that would be just an interest. So as the principal goes down, obviously the interest would go down, but you know, just for the sake of argument, you'd be paying them about a million dollars a year. What if you were able to take that $100 million and put it into something that produced $10 million per year? Maybe some of that would go to other places, but ultimately let's say you could shave off a million dollars then you pay your million dollars in interest back to the bank. You could be living off of a million dollars having started with none of your own money. That's what leverage and shave refers to. So for real estate, similar kind of concept. You buy real estate, the bank is the one putting their money in, and you put in a little bit amount of money, and then you take out cash flow on top of that. And ultimately, you are paying back the principal. You're essentially buying the property over time, and the only real cost there is the interest on the loan. So if you're borrowing someone else's money, producing cash flow and paying the interest with the money from uh, that's made from that property, you're essentially leveraging and shaving. You're making money off of somebody else's money, which is outstanding. Those are the two major types of investing and everybody does that. 
right? So if you're investing, you're probably in the first fire and forget category, but if you have over a million dollars and most wealthy people out there with a significant portion of wealth have at some point taken out some kind of debt in order to purchase some asset, whether it be real estate, companies, just stocks in general. Well, the reason I say that that's important is because what if you could leverage and shave without paying any interest at all? You see where I'm heading here? So the banks currently do something called fractional reserve banking. This is a complex topic, so stick with me. The bank will take customer money. Let's say it's your money. You put it into bank A, $100. Bank A is required by law to hold on to only 10% of the money put in, which means they have $90 they can do whatever they want with. They tell you that you have $100 in the bank, so you see on your chart $100, and you count that on your net worth sheet. They take your money, $90 of it, and they turn around and invest it into things that's going to produce some kind of interest. Then when they get that interest back, that's what they're using to pay themselves. And meanwhile, they're not paying you anything really in order to do that. The interest rate for like a checking account is like what, 0.1% or something. So the amount that they're paying you is minuscule compared to what they could get by investing that money. And then when they take that money and invest it, let's say someone wants to buy a house. So you put your money into bank A, they can take $90 and lend it to someone who wants to buy a house. That person is going to take that cash and put it in their bank. That bank now has to hold on to 90% of the money. And then that bank is capable of taking 90% of that and putting it into another real estate deal, which then goes into another bank. And this process continues until eventually we reach close to zero, never actually reaches zero, but we reach close to zero. That's called fractional reserve banking. The entire concept is we're reusing the same amount of money a whole bunch of times because we're telling people it's in the bank when it really isn't. You see how that works? So if you were an investor and you had access to a whole bunch of money that you didn't have to tell people that you actually had, you could do whatever you want with it, shave off the top, and you're paying zero interest on that loan which is outstanding. That's probably the best place you could possibly be when it comes to investing people's money. The trick is what happens when you can't get that money back in order to pay the person? So let's walk through a scenario of what's happening currently with companies like FTX and BlockFi and why they're in such a, a struggle in order to stay afloat, in order to keep their company going. So a crypto exchange is some place where you can trade crypto with other people, but the exchange itself holds on to that crypto asset. So let's say you show up to BlockFi and you're like, I need 100 crypto and its cost is currently at $100. We're going to round it just to make it as simple as possible uh, for the sake of this. Right, let's say you buy 100 crypto from someone with $100 on the exchange. That person takes their cash and they run with it. So they're no longer on the exchange. Your 100 crypto sits on the exchange and it's just hanging out there. Now, what the exchange wants to do is act like a bank and start doing fractional reserve. So they take out that crypto. They tell you you still have it, but they remove the crypto. Then they turn around and they uh, convert it into cash. And then they invest that cash. But let's say their investment takes a dive. In the case of FTX, they put all of that cash into um, their own crypto. So they had their own crypto coin called FTT and they were purposely buying that stuff up in order to bolster that coin in order to increase their net worth because you can borrow money against your net worth and that's something that they wanted to do. 
So it kind of like used customer funds to artificially boost up their net worth. So that 100 crypto you have is not actually sitting there on the exchange. It's now gone. It was sold for cash. That cash is being used to buy another crypto coin. Now, in the case of FTX, what happened was the competitor to FTX, Binance, hinted that they found something interesting in the FTX sheet and then subsequently sold off all of their FTT coin. Well, that dropped the value of FTT coin significantly to the point where once the value was so low and people started to panic, they wanted to sell their crypto and get out or pull their crypto out of the exchange completely. So you could put it in your own wallet, essentially like doing a withdrawal at an ATM machine for cash. It would be the crypto equivalent, withdrawing it and putting it into your own crypto wallet. The problem was that crypto wasn't actually there. They told you it was there, but it wasn't. And in order for them to get the crypto there, in order to put it into your wallet, they had to start selling off assets in order to buy other crypto like Bitcoin and Ether. But if you're selling off FTT and the FTT has already dropped significantly in value, it continues to drop in value as you're trying to sell it off and you no longer have the cash to buy all the other crypto you need in order to cover the customers withdrawing all their money. So essentially you had a run on the bank and the bank had no way of getting that back in order to provide all of the crypto back to their customers. So why doesn't this happen to normal banks then? If normal banks are doing the same thing and these crypto guys are just essentially trying to copycat what the banks are already doing, why doesn't the bank have the same issue? Well, first off, the bank likes to operate in cash. The banks like to take your cash and convert that into debt, which is also dealt in cash, meaning that it's being paid back in cash. So as cash fluctuates in value over time, it doesn't really matter because if you have $100 and it fluctuates a whole bunch and I get $100 and replace it, it really doesn't, that fluctuation doesn't affect anything. The problem with the crypto policy is that they're not dealing in whatever coin it is that you currently have in their exchange. So if you have Bitcoin in their exchange and you bought 100 Bitcoin, they're selling that off for cash, which means now the transaction difference between Bitcoin and cash matters. And they're buying FTT with it. And then that conversion rate also matters. And so now you have assets and liabilities and they match. But as soon as those assets start to fluctuate and they no longer match, when there's a run on the bank, there's nothing they can do. It's not like they can recover cash by calling in debts because if they call in debts, it's just going to be assets they still have to purchase. So the debts aren't gonna be paid back in coin. They're gonna be paid back in cash and they still have to convert that into coin. So it's problematic for them to be able to handle this process. I take part in a gold investment strategy. This is not an endorsement. They do not pay me anything. Um, I just wanna let you know what I'm a part of and it's called monetary metals. And the entire concept behind what they do is that you buy gold and instead of them charging you a storage fee for that gold, they lend that gold out to be used for things like jewelry. The jewelers are then responsible for paying that debt back in precious metals, in gold or in silver instead of in cash. And that prevents a problem with the value changes in that asset. But that's not what FTX and BlockFi did. And that's where they ended up getting caught. The other things the banks have in order to compensate for this is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve on its own website in the first paragraph of its purpose states, quote, the Federal Reserve lends to banks and other depository institutions, so-called discount window lending, to address temporary problems they may have in obtaining funding. In other words, the Federal Reserve will hand out a low to no interest rate loan to banks in order to cover the fact that they overstretch themselves. 
And in the case of FTX and BlockFi, they attempted to solve the problem the same way by looking for lending, but they can't get lending the same way the banks can get lending. They can't get these interest-free loans that sometimes turn into grants if the banks are incapable of paying them back in order to make the banks you know, universally solvent. In this case, they couldn't pay their debts back. In BlockFi's case, a huge portion of their debt was taken out through FTX. So FTX had it on their sheet that they loaned money to BlockFi. And then uh, with the expectation of being able to purchase or take over BlockFi in the future. So that meant that FTX is scrambling to call in all of its debts in order to, you know, figure out what it's going to, what its future is going to look like. Meanwhile, BlockFi is being forced to pay the back uh, debt back to, um, FTX and they don't have the cash to actually do so because they stretch themselves too thin attempting to be a fractional reserve bank and now they're in a position where they have to try and explain why they can't pay back. And in other super weird news, a whole bunch of YouTubers were advertising things like BlockFi and FTX on their channels for a really long time. And now they're kind of feeling like they're in a position where they have to apologize or pull videos, whole videos down like millennial money. Every video had FTX up in the top corner. They have to pull all their videos off of their channel because they don't want to advertise that product anymore and, you know, steer people the wrong direction. Inevitably, and it's going to be interesting to see, there might be some lawsuits in the future as a result of them recommending FTX. But if you listen to them and you believe what they say, which in this case I do, they tried to do their due diligence in order to make sure the company was legit. They did get lawyers involved in order to try and figure that out. And it still turned out that people signed up and lost money. And that's depressing. Stuff happens. I don't really know how to resolve that problem. At the end of the day, when you're investing into something, you're risking your money, right? Um, it's a good indicator. It's a good lesson for us to take to know that we should not just diversify our assets in a single entity. Like in my case, I use E-Trade, Monetary Metals, Weeble, um, Coinbase, um, my traditional bank, um, the list goes on. So I think this is a lesson in diversifying across platforms as well, not just you know, diversifying assets within a single platform. I think that's extremely important. I think the other thing that uh, might be important is that if you have a low risk tolerance, maybe focusing on investments through insured banks, insured entities that are controlled by the United States and backed by the Federal Reserve might be where you want to go. This is not a political debate to say which one of those things is best. I'm just saying for our sake as investors, if I think something is really cool, like monetary metals is really cool, I don't put a lot of my net worth into monetary metals. It's a small portion. So if something was shady in that aspect, it wouldn't affect my overall picture. And I think that's important as well. So most of my net worth is in real estate and in major insured platforms. And then a little bit of it is out there in these other entities um, that I think are fun and I do see good gains from, I just don't want to like sell my soul in case that entity ends up going down. Has another Sam Bankman freed instance or person running the show. You just never know. So the world is a crazy place. I'd, I hope you're all being safe out there. I hope you're investing. I hope you're having a good time doing it. I know right now isn't the best time. We're not seeing great gains, but you know, sometime in the future, we're gonna have a lot of fun with this. As long as we stick to it, lower our dollar cost average, and we can all build good, clean, solid wealth 
and have financial peace. That's the ultimate goal, and that's what I want for all of you. So thank you for stopping by. I super appreciate it. If you like today's show, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Check out WealthyIdiots.com. We have cool calculators, um, tax information. We're hitting towards the end of the year. There's some good data on there. Don't forget that, and I'll see you guys next time.